Hey guys, and welcome to the Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report, presented by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. The first podcast to bring you the local fishing report for Alabama's lakes and rivers, whether it's good, bad, or ugly. I'm your host, Nick Williams, and this week's show is brought to you by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. Are you frustrated by your typical hunting and fishing magazines? Are you tired of reading content meant for guys up north or in the Midwest? Don't get left behind following the guidance of guys who don't hunt and fish in your home state. Pick up a Great Days Outdoors magazine subscription and become a better southern outdoorsman. Great Days Outdoors magazine can be found at your local Books A Million, Tractor Supply Company, Rural King, or you can save and buy online at greatdaysoutdoors.com. Alrighty guys, welcome back to the show. Hopefully y'all have all been staying cool. This summer's been a real scorcher. We're doing something a little bit different today. Usually we talk to some expert anglers throughout the state and we hear how the fishing's doing on Alabama's lakes and rivers. Uh, But today we're going to talk to a different type of expert. We're going to hear from a couple of our water keepers here in the state and get the scoop on how our waterways are doing. Uh, We've got a lot of different river keeper organizations in the state and they all work really hard making sure that we can swim in and eat the fish out of our waterways. Uh, as a fisherman, this is something that obviously I care personally about, and I imagine that you guys do as well. Alabama has some really awesome fishing, some really unique waterways, um, but we've also got some unique challenges that go along with protecting those waterways, and I think it's important as sportsmen that we keep abreast of those issues. First up, we'll talk with Justin Overton with Coosa Riverkeeper. Uh, Justin grew up on Logan Martin Lake. She graduated magna cum laude from the new college program at the University of Alabama with a degree in environmental advocacy. And she has been working with the Coosa Riverkeeper since 2012. In 2015, she was one of four women highlighted by Southern Living as Women of Worth, a short list of women who are dedicated to improving the lives of Southerners in need. Justin was also named a 2023 River Hero by the Alabama Rivers Alliance and a Woman Making Waves. After we talk with Jordan, we're going to hear from my buddy Cade Kistler over at Mobile Bay Keeper. Uh, Cade grew up uh, north on Gunnersville Lake up on the Tennessee River. Um, he got his bachelor's from Auburn University, uh, went out west for a while, worked with the U.S. Forest Service as a wilderness restoration intern out in Washington State. Uh, He eventually came back to Alabama. He got his master's with Auburn University. Um, He got married, and he moved here to Baldwin County, where he's been uh, exploring the waterways on the Gulf Coast and helping to protect them ever since that. I think his web bio on the Baykeeper site needs to be updated. It says he served for six years, but I'm reasonably sure he's been with them for longer than that. I've spoken with Cade numerous times before. Uh, been lucky enough to take him out on a couple fishing trips. Um, we've talked about the issues that face the Mobile Delta and Mobile Bay region. Um, and I've always walked away just really impressed with his understanding of those issues and his dedication to keeping our waterways protected for future generations. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get into it. All right, guys, we're here today. And with our first guest, we have Justin Overton with the Coosa River Keepers. Justin, how are you doing? I'm awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. Good deal. And I'm glad to have you on here. Have y'all, uh, did y'all enjoy that little cool snap that came through last week? I really did. I actually took a vacation last week and spent some time in an off-grid cabin on the Locust Fork. So it was really nice waking up to some cool weather, especially when you don't have AC. So uh, it was it was a good time. <laughs> it, but it's hot. I was on the water yesterday and I was like, oh, that cool snap, it was flirting with me. Because yeah. it's back. The humidity and heat is back for real. Yeah. No, it didn't take long. We had a vacation, too. We went up to uh, Auburn and, and spent some time beating around up there. Went to, like, Chihuahua State Park and some spots cool. on the Tallapoosa River and Tuskegee Forest. And, yeah, there for a day or two, if you got up early, 
you know, temps in the seventies in the morning, it was nice. And then by the time Yeah. we were coming home, it, I was looking at the thermometer on the car and it was 101 degrees. So it didn't Yeah, last it's long. been relentless. It really Yeah. has been. Well, well, tell, tell me a little bit about yourself and, and tell our listeners, uh, just, just kind of your background. I know you're a local, um, kind of, kind of, how did you grow up? What kind of got you interested? What, what started you down the path to end up working with Coosa Riverkeeper? Yeah, well, I mean, I was an outside kid. And I think that's really where it all began is that I have always felt much more comfortable with dirt under my fingernails and a sunburn being in in the woods or on the water. And so for me, the outdoors has always been a place of respite. And I live in one of the most beautiful places in the whole country, Alabama, right? The river state. And so I grew up in the bottom of a really crappy John boat on Logan Martin Lake on the Coosa River and trying to tell my parents to stop fishing so I could go swimming. And so a lot of my childhood was really shaped around my parents fishing, me swimming, you know, I was like one of those kids that my mom would have to like throw a t-shirt in the water because I wouldn't get out to put sunscreen on and like throw me a hat. So my love for water is has been a profound part of my life. And I feel very grateful that I get to now as a profession, protect the waterways that, um, you know, I grew up on. But but in terms of the advocacy part, you know, it's a lot of people love, you know, hunting, fishing, swimming, you know, outdoor recreation. But not everybody is called to advocate for better regulations and policies. And so I was first sort of exposed to that about eight or nine uh, years old. My dad is from Anniston, Alabama. And Anniston is the very first place that polychlorinated biphenyls or PCBs, which is an industrial lubricant that um, was used in tons of consumer products as well as industrial purposes, um, was first commercially manufactured. And it's actually like you can see the facility from my grandmother's house. And so I grew up going to Aniston and, you know, wanting to be an outside kid. And, you know, there's this amazing pear tree in my grandmother's yard. And I was never, my dad would never let me play there in the dirt and like outside. And I remember arguing with him a lot about like, I want to go look at this Creek. It was really a ditch, but when you're a kid, a ditch looks like a Creek. Right. So, right. and so I was exposed through arguing with my dad about that, like water, quality and water clarity are not synonymous with each other. And he was like, it'll make you sick. And so I remember being a kid and being like, how can something I love, like the outdoors, impact my health? And so I kind of took that life experience and growing up fishing and eating fish from the Kusa with my family. I mean, I learned years later that my grandfather actually um, was impacted by that PCD and, and passed away from cancer. And so I was personally impacted and had a loss due to that. I never got my dad lost his dad at a very early age. And so when I was in high school, you know, being a, a young kind of angsty counterculture chick, I was, you know, I got really into like, how can I make the world better? And, and that was the gateway drug for me into advocacy. And now I get to apply that childlike sense of wonder of loving the outdoors to inspire other people to protect the places that they love. And I just think that's like, I could not have dreamt a better job for me, you know, that I get to, um, I get to be on a boat, I get to talk to congressmen about why the CUSA matters. And I get to talk to fine folks like you that like, just understand the importance for our economy as well as for our society that like outdoor recreation is vital. It's vital, you know. Absolutely. So kind of tell me in, in broad strokes, it sounds like you're familiar with it if you grew up on, on Logan Martin Lake and, and with the work you do. What's what's the 50,000 foot view 
of the Coosa River system for? I know a lot of our listeners are on the Coosa Valley, but some of them are going to be on other river systems, right, right elsewhere, and they're mm-hmm. either not familiar with it or all that they know is, you know, the reservoirs on it. They may mm-hmm. have gone and taken a trip, been in a bass tournament out there a little bit. Yeah. What can you tell me about that that river system as a whole? Yeah, so for for those of your listeners that are not familiar with Coosa, I'm going to just go ahead and going to explain the, ge- the geographic constraints of the Coosa. So the Coosa in totality is 280 miles. Its headwaters are the Ustanala and Etowah rivers, and they form in Rome, Georgia, to form the Coosa River. So Coosa Riverkeeper, we work in the middle and lower Coosa Basin in Alabama. So we work on 220 miles of that 280-mile system. So essentially, if, if you were to draw a map, it's essentially from Fort Payne, Alabama, to Wetumpka which includes Neely Henry Lake, Logan Martin Lake, Lay Lake, Lake Mitchell, Lake Jordan, and then the tailwaters of the Coosa in Wetumpka, which is actually not only the most paddled stretch of any river in Alabama, um, but it is the only free-flowing stretch of the Coosa system because it has been impounded so many times. So the Coosa suffered the greatest mass extinction of critters in North American history when it was dammed. And so that's actually what spurred the the formation of our nonprofit, Coosa Riverkeeper, is because there was not a group that can speak for the river. I say this all the time. My staff actually makes fun of me about it. But like a river has a head and a mouth, but it doesn't have a voice to speak for itself. And so that's what riverkeepers do is that that we're out there speaking for the river and, and the critters that rely on it, as well as the communities that rely on it. So we work in 5,000 square miles of Alabama on that 220 miles of river system. And that includes not just the reservoirs, but all the skinny water. That's what we call it, at least skinny water. So, you know, Chocolata Creek, Big Wills Creek, Big Canoe Creek. Um, and despite that mass extinction, there's still a huge amount of fish, snail, and mussel diversity in, in this river system. So I think it's really important that although a lot of folks probably hit the lakes and they are there for like Alabama Bass Trail or they are there for the Bassmaster Elite, there's so much richness in the woods as well as in those feeder creeks that are totally worth exploring. So like, I just encourage anybody who's looking for a place to go to like open up Onyx, like get on a mapping software and, and poke around because some of the most breathtaking places that I've been able to experience in my job have been completely random. I'm following up with a citizen calling about a pollution complaint and I just get the opportunity to stumble on like this beautiful rock outcrop on this creek. You know what I mean? So we as an organization are trying to meet the needs of a lot of different river users, right? So like a bass angler who's like there for a tournament is going to have a completely different understanding and value to the work that we provide for public notification and water quality data than maybe a grandmother whose grandkids are coming for the weekend to go swimming. So we're constantly trying to be sure that we are meeting the needs of not just the river, but the people that use the river to provide them data to make informed decisions so that they aren't eating fish that cause cancer or so that they aren't swimming in sewage, um, but also to empower them to make better decisions um, to protect their health. I, I like what you said said earlier. Two things I like that you said. One, like Jordan. I've I've heard of Lake Jordan and I've heard of Lake Jordan and uh it, my family used to have a place up on Jordan. Uh, yeah, it's Jordan. It's like when you say Watumka versus Wetumpka. Like I have to have street cred, you know. It's Jordan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The version of it down here, you can always tell if you're getting a telemarketer. Somebody calls and says, "Are you Nick Williams from Mobile, Alabama?" Click. <laughs> 
Yeah. And I, I like that. what I like what you said too, you know, going back to, to your story uh with, with PCPs in the creek that ran behind your grandmother's house. The, the idea of clarity does not equal cleanliness mm-hmm. because that's something down here our waters are very muddy, you know, arguably muddier than they should be, muddier than they were two or three hundred years ago. But you kind of get used to it. And mm-hmm. I, as I've traveled the state, yeah, it's real easy. You get you get up in the northern parts of the state on the coast of the Tapalapus and the Black Warrior Rivers, and it is. It's clear. You know, I was I was fishing the other day in a place where you could see bass down in 10 feet of water. Wow. And you look at it and you think, wow, it's, you know, clean, clear water, and you can't see all of the contaminants. You can see some of them. Sometimes, you know, we've I think everybody's been out on the water and seen, you know, oil on the surface from a two-stroke or, or maybe you see discharge mm-hmm. pipes or it's really easy if you have a construction site and they've got a problem with their silt fence and, and their, you know, sediment mm-hmm. control program. You can see that out on the water. But a lot of it, like you said, PCB is you can't see, you can't tell looking at it, right? If a fish is good to eat. Right. Like sometimes you'll see them in, in the warmer months and you can see a sore on a fish and people will post it up on the local groups and they'll go, yeah. hey, is this safe to eat? But then there's a lot of fish. If you're looking at a live well and there's 20 fish in them, you you can't tell if they have right. mercury in them or not. So a lot of the problems, I guess, that, that you guys face aren't readily visible um, and I know you you mentioned kind of a, a, a list right there talking about PCBs, talking about um, fish consumption advisories and mm-hmm. stuff like that. What what do y'all do kind of on a on a day to day base as far as your boots on the ground efforts to combat those issues? So, well, I'll, I'm going to go back just a hair. So I am really, really interested in public notification. I think that's something that makes Coosa Riverkeeper a little bit different than some of our other partner groups is that our state motto is we dare to defend our rights. But what does that mean when you don't have a right to know information? You don't have a right to know where the fish are unsafe to eat. You don't have a right to know where sewage is entering your waterways or toxins are um, you know, entering the waterways through public notification. So I just want to say a blanket statement is that like, I don't want to discourage anybody from doing anything. I want to empower them with the appropriate information to make an informed decision about when and where they decide to enjoy a waterway. So a lot of what we do um, is really grounded in that. It's it's a, like, how can we collect data? How can we fill in these gaps in public understanding and in water quality data and present it to the people where it's like, red, green, yellow, like our swim guide program, where we're monitoring the amount of E. coli, because people are busy. They just want to get on the river because they, if they're like me, they're like, hell, it's five o'clock. I'm ready to go. Like, let's get out there. And so we really focus on the data collection and then trying to synthesize that into a way that a person of any background, any literacy rate, any language barriers, any technological barriers because 25% of the people in the Coosa River Basin don't have red, like ready access to broadband internet. So like, how can we make sure that we're not like leaving out a subset of anglers or of like river enthusiasts just because they don't have the internet? So our work is grounded in, in that. But in terms of the day to day, like I'll just give you this week because there is no, there is no normal here. Yesterday I was on lay and half of my team was in the truck getting samples from smaller creeks that we were not going to be able to get the boat up. And the other half of us were on our patrol boat called the Olive Two. For any boat nerds out there, we've got a Sea Arc Bay Runner 210 with a 150 Mercury outboard. It's sweet. I love that boat. And her name is the Olive Two because Popeye the Sailor Man was actually inspired by the Coosa River. 
the creator of it was from Gadsden. And our very first patrol boat was a really crappy Alumacraft green John boat that was olive. And so when we got the funding to get an upgraded patrol boat, I was like, obviously, we've got to get a green boat and name it the olive too. So our team yesterday was a divide and conquer situation to do PFAS, which is an emerging contaminant. Um, the Pacusa has a huge issue with due to being downstream from a lot of heavy carpet manufacturing. So we did PFAS testing yesterday. This is my only day in the office today. So today I am like managing my staff. And then tomorrow I'll be on Logan Martin doing a PFAS sampling again by truck by boat. Thursday I'll be on Mitchell Jordan and Tailwaters doing bacteriological water quality monitoring on all of those reservoirs for our swim guide program where we tell people where it's safe to swim or not each week. And then Friday I'll be on Mitch, no, I'll be on Neely Henry doing PFAS samples again. So this is summer is a very heavy field work season for us just because it is river season, but there is no normal. I, I, I am an, I love the field work. I am the happiest when I'm doing the field work, even if that means I have awkward tan lines and bruises and scrapes and too many tick bites to count. But that's definitely where I think the heart is. We do do a lot of community engagement. So when there is an issue and and we want to educate the community, we try to go into communities and foster relationships with them to empower them. There is an aspect to our work where we do do Clean Water Act compliance and enforcement. So we are a litigious organization. That is a tool. That doesn't necessarily mean it's always the most appropriate tool. Sometimes it's great to bring somebody to the table and say, hi, I've noticed you've had a lot of issues with your facility. How can we help? Um, Sometimes you've got bad actors and they need to be held accountable. And so our state regulatory agency, the Alabama Department of Environmental Management, has consistently demonstrated that they're more interested in issuing the permits than they are protecting the waterways in which the permits Um, or the permit holders are discharging into. So, you know, I think it's also important to note that, you know, when it comes to clean water and and healthy people and communities, we should not have to choose between a healthy economy and a healthy physical environment. You know, Neely Henry Lake is, brings in over $10 million in new revenue every single year, just from bass tournaments alone. So why would we want to pollute a reservoir, any reservoir, any waterway, when it has the economic potential to bring people here, to spend money here, to move here and invest here. So anyway, I'll get off my soapbox about that. But like, I feel very strongly that, that um, the Clean Water Act is one of the most fantastic tools that we have. And, you know, anglers in particular have played a huge role in our organization with finding bad actors and holding them accountable, whether it be in a courtroom or in the, be in the court of public opinion. Justin, you mentioned earlier that, that the work that you guys do, you do different work for different people, different, you know, users of the Coosa River system have have different needs, different things that matter to them, right? Like a set of grandparents may want to know, well, hey, mm-hmm. if the kids are coming this weekend, can they jump off the dock and go swimming? Um, another group may want to know, can we eat the fish? We talk with a lot of fishermen on this podcast. It is a fishing podcast. And I know that's something that I only recently, it's been within the past year, I had a conversation with Will Strickland on a duck hunt. And I was talking about mm-hmm. eating fish on a trot line on a place on the Mobile Tensile Delta. And he was kind of quiet for a second. And he was like, you ever read the fish consumption advisories? <laughs> and just the way he said it, I was like, yeah, oh. I had to go look and I, and I looked and that place did not have a consumption advisory for that species but you go five miles over and there's just right. like like black ball like do not eat any of the species in this yeah. drainage 
what what can you kind of tell me about the fish consumption advisories? What where do people find out more about that? Where can people keep mm-hmm. track of that? And then what can you tell me just just briefly about what why do we have fish consumption advisories in Alabama? I will do this as quickly as possible because I told you earlier I could talk about this for hours. Um, so fish consumption advisories are issued by the Alabama Department of Public Health on an annual basis for specific sections of our state. So it is an advisory for a specific species of fish for a specific contaminant on a specific body of water. Generally speaking, most of the fish consumption advisories are for methylmercury, and methylmercury is atmospherically deposited into our waterways and taken up by fish um, through the food chain due largely to coal-fired power plants across the world, right? So the CUSA has two coal-fired power plants on our system, and I certainly think that that probably contributes to some of the methylmercury advisories, although it doesn't really matter because the advisories are the advisories. So methylmercury is important to note because there's nothing you can do to reduce your exposure other than follow the advisories versus like PCBs, they're fat soluble. So how you prepare your fish and you fillet your fish can help reduce exposure. So especially for those of y'all that have ladies of childbearing age or any vulnerable people in your family, following the mercury advisories are really, really important. So if people are interested on the CUSA system, to learn more about fish consumption advisories, they can visit our website, which is kusariver.org. And there is tons of information on our website about the advisories broken down by each reservoir. There is a statewide fish consumption advisory map available at waterkeepersalabama.org, which is interactive that you can click on no matter where you are and see the advisories. Coosa Riverkeeper and our partners update that on an annual basis. But, you know, that's really why when I was talking about public notification, we worked on the Safe and Healthy Outdoor Recreation Act, the SHORE Act, this past legislative session. And that's really what we're trying to do is get this fish consumption advisory program codified in law. Because right now it's vulnerable. They could stop doing this fish consumption advisory testing and work at any point. So the the real heart of it is to ensure that there is some continuity in that and that we can make changes to encourage more contaminant testing in the program, more frequent testing, have a budget for the program, and also have the opportunity for the public to weigh in. But most importantly, it's about the science. So Coosa Riverkeeper has had a angler survey program for the past seven or eight years. So we actually have a team of people that go out during different seasons, during different times of the day, on the boat and on dock to actually talk to anglers about their understanding of the advisories. Because knowing about the advisories and understanding what they mean is oftentimes very different. So we have several reports, a deep deep analysis of our data that we've collected that is specific to the CUSA system. I really hope that others will will start um, asking their anglers because you cannot assume what people know. And also it's been really helpful for us to get a better understanding of the ways that we can get this information to the people who need it most. And that has been signs. So CUSA has, uh, as an organization, has posted over 50 signs throughout the CUSA basin, specifically on creeks like Chocolaca Creek, which did get all of that PCB contamination that I talked about earlier. But we're working with other river keepers throughout the state and working with the partners through the Army Corps of Engineers to ensure that all of the public access points owned by the Corps and DCNR that have active advisories have a sign. But the thing is, is the Shore Act would ensure that it's at all of the ramps, including like the fishing piers below the dams, like the, the tail races of these places where we know that people are going to fish and are oftentimes fishing for sustenance in those areas. So the signs, I think, are critically important 
to getting people, again, it's not illegal to eat these fish, but we're just trying to make sure that people are empowered with this information so that they can make informed decisions. Because I know some of these folks, this is a matter of like, I need, I want a local source of protein because it's economically feasible for my family, or it's just an intergenerational tradition. Like I grew up eating a mess of crappie, you know, like crappie is delicious. But for instance, on a lot of our reservoirs, they don't actually test crappie at all. They, they may test them, you know, in the Tennessee and maybe the upper parts of the Coosa, but they're not testing crappie consistently. And I think that's another opportunity for improvement is like people are not really eating a lot of striped bass, according to our data, but they're consistently testing striped bass. It'd be really cool if they were testing crappie because we know people are consistently eating crappie. So it's been a long journey and there's tons of ways that people can get involved. But um, visiting CoosaRiver.org can get you those Coosa specifics about the advisories, as well as lots of additional information about how to reduce your exposure. And we've got like recipes and stuff to hopefully encourage people to follow the advisories while also reducing their exposure when and where they can. It's, it's definitely the fish consumption advisory is, is an interesting rabbit hole to dive into. Mm-hmm. I know we've got limited time, but that's that's a question that I have had with other people is if you have a waterway and you're looking and it has a do not eat advisory for black bass, you know, because mercury accumulates in tissue and a, and a, a piscivore, you know, the fish that eats other fish accumulates mm-hmm. that, that mercury rapidly. And then there's not a crappie advisory and it's like, well, crappie eat, you know, the same forage that bass mm-hmm. do on a, on a large level. You know, they're also eating uh, shad, you know. Right. So that, right. That's, and I've asked, you know, is, is that something that's being tested? Like, and it's like, well, so that's, that is interesting, and I definitely support what you guys are doing, putting the signs out. You're talking about Thank broadband you. internet access. I was driving through a county the other day, and I pulled some statistics on it. And, uh, yeah, per the census information, you've only got about 50% of the population with a broadband internet connection. So flip a coin if mm-hmm. they have a way to check the advisories right. now, which is kind of buried on the Alabama Department of Public Health. Yeah, page, kind right? of buried. That's generous. It, <laughs> it's, it is buried. And then the way a lot of the reporting is, is hard even for me to keep track of. Like um, we stayed up at, at Lake Martin on the Tallapoosa mm-hmm. River system and a buddy of mine were both aware of the consumption advisories. We went fishing there and we checked it and we're just kind of skimming. It's like, well, I don't see Lake Martin listed anywhere as there being mm-hmm. an advisory when you dig into it, one of the tributary creeks that, that feeds right by where we were staying, we yep. were like, oh, we can catch fish and it's not a big deal. Whatever we catch, we can fry. And uh, and then you read between the lines, you're like, well, wait, no, right there, half mile yeah, from where we're staying, there's an advisory. So yeah, I support what you guys are doing. I think well, that's definitely you. something as an angler that people should be aware of. If people want to kind of get involved with what you're doing, if they want to learn more or help you guys out, what's a good way for them to do that? Well, give us a follow if you're on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, tag us in your personal best pick. I love, I love seeing the grip and grins from people. Um, I, I know for us, we have a couple of things coming up. We actually are hosting a fly fishing tournament in Wetumpka, um, the 6th through the 8th. It's called the Southern One Fly. So if you go to southernonefly.com, you can get the all the details about the rules and the tournament map. It's going to be a good time. We'll be staying um at what used to be known as Coosa Outdoor Center, but we're going to have bands and just have a great weekend of fishing and, and fellowship and really just trying to get folks on the skinny water of the lower Coosa Basin. So it's all of the feeder creeks, Mitchell. So that includes places like Hatchet Creek. So if, if y'all have never been on Hatchet Creek, I, it's a gem. Go wade and enjoy it. 
Um, and then also the Feeder Creek to Jordan and then the tailwaters there in Wetumpka. So that's coming up. There's also a coal ash hearing. Um, there's a virtual hearing on the 27th, but there's going to be an in-person hearing um, for the through the EPA on the 20th. So if folks are interested in learning more about that, you can visit any of the Riverkeepers websites um, or Facebook social media to learn more about that. We need folks to get out there and get loud and, and talk to the EPA about why coal ash needs to be moved off of our waterways to an upland lined landfill. They're a ticking time bomb and they're leaking all kinds of heavy metals um, and pollutants into our waterways, our waterways. So I think it's super important that, you know, if you find yourself at night dreaming about being on your boat and um, like I do, then that probably means you need to come to Montgomery on the 20th. And and I can send you some information about that to get people signed up, but we need a lot of people there. Absolutely. Well, Justin, I definitely appreciate the time that you've donated to us today. I appreciate all of the hard work that you do. Guys, y'all be sure to check out the Coosa Riverkeepers website or your local Riverkeepers website. There's Riverkeepers all over the state of Alabama that do similar work to what Justin and, and her crew were doing there. Uh, Justin, hopefully we can have you back on the podcast yeah. at a later date. I know we we do a freshwater fishing report. I think it's good to periodically check in, not just on how the fishing is, but how how's the water doing. So Yeah, well, thank you so much for what you're doing. And thank you to those of you that have taken the time to listen. Um, I hope I see you on the river soon. Absolutely. I will be up that way. I'm trying to catch a fish on a fly in all 67 counties. So I will, yeah, I will well, be on the Coosa River system. Yeah, let me know. Absolutely. Appreciate your time. Thank you. Alrighty, guys, that was Jordan Overton with the Coosa Riverkeeper. Um, if y'all are local to that waterway, y'all be sure to go over there and check out the Coosa Riverkeeper's website. Um, I think they do a really awesome job, like Jordan said, posting information, particularly on fish consumption advisories. I really think they've set the example in Alabama for making that information easily accessible to everybody. They've really led that charge. So, if you fish and you like to eat fish, that's something you should keep track of, and they've made it easy for you, so go check them out. Um, and We're going to go ahead and take a quick break and hear from some of this week's sponsors. This week's episode of the Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report has been brought to you by Southeastern Pond Management. Since 1989, Southeastern Pond Management has been a leader in pond and lake management services. If you own a pond or lake anywhere in the southeast, Southeastern Pond Management can evaluate the health of your pond and then work with you individually to put together the right plan to get what you want out of your body of water. Through electrofishing, liming, fertilizing, and stocking and weed control, Southeastern Pond Management is the one-stop shop to help you produce more healthy trophy fish than ever before. Schedule an obligation-free consultation today. Call one 888 830-POND or email info at southeastpond.com and brought to you by L&M Marine. L&M Marine has something for everyone from small hunting boats to pontoon boats to bigger bay boat and offshore hybrids. L&M Marine LLC prides itself on its customer service and knows how important it is to be taken care of and to have someone you can trust. They are locally owned and regularly support the surrounding community. L&M Marine provides superior customer service and has an entire team that consists of professional sales members, finance experts, service technicians, and a knowledgeable parts and accessories staff to fully support you. Go visit their friendly, reliable, and experienced staff today. L&M Marine is located six miles north of I-10 at 34600 Highway 59 in Stapleton, Alabama. You can also reach them by phone at 251-937-1380. And brought to you by Fish Bites. 
Whether you're hitting the sand with set rigs, using traditional scent strips for pompano, or fishing the flats and marshes for speckled trout, redfish, and flounder, Fish Bites has something for you. Family owned and operated in St. Augustine, Florida, they pride themselves on making reliably consistent fishing products for anglers of all ages all around the world. Fish Bites baits and lures are made with pride in the Sunshine State here in USA. Check out the full line of scented saltwater and freshwater baits at fishbites.com. This week's episode has been brought to you by Texas Hunter. Alrighty, guys, next up we have Cade Kistler. Uh, I do apologize. We caught Cade when he was out on a boat. He was doing some field work, so the audio quality may be a little bit rough. Um, but I think you guys will be able to understand him okay. And he's definitely got some good stuff to say. He's really uh, led the charge on some of the issues that we've had here with Barry's steam plant. Uh, that matters to me a good bit personally because at night I can walk out on my back porch and I can't see the steam plant across the swamp, but I can see the glow from it. Um, it's about five miles out my back door. It's always there. And, and they have had some issues over the years um, that Kate has worked on. So let's go ahead and we'll hear from Kate. All right, guys, we're here with Cade Kistler with Mobile Baykeeper. Cade is actually out on the water right now, so I apologize if there's any audio quality issues, but uh, he's hard at work. It's hard to find him in the office. Ain't that right, Cade? Yeah, I mean, I spent some time there, but it's always good to get out and bird dog some issues and see what's going on uh, in the watershed for sure. That's right. Well, well we just talked with uh, Justin up at the Coosa River Keepers, and she was kind of telling us a little bit about her personal history with the Coosa River and her involvement in it. Um, I know I've talked with you a little bit personally about, you know, kind of your life growing up and how you came to be where you're at today. But uh, just for our readers, just kind of introduce yourself and, and tell us how you ended up working with Mobile Baykeeper. Yeah, thanks, Nick. Yeah, I mean, I so I grew up in North Alabama up on the Tennessee River in Gunnersville, Gunnersville Lake. I grew up Oh, duck hunting and dove hunting and uh, fishing. And, you know, even before that, just digging around in creeks, grabbing crawfish and pretending we were having a a crawfish bull and a flower pot on a wood fire, man. So I grew up just playing outside as much as I could for my whole childhood. Um, and so then, you know, you get a little older and you start to go, well, I'm going to have to have to make some money at some point pretty soon, you know? And so I got, got in college and I started out thinking, well, pre-med seems like a good deal. Doctors make good money. What, you know, what do you know? Uh, a little ways in, I said, you know, this is not for me, both for the reason of, I didn't want to spend that long in school. And for the reason of, I was like, man, I'm never going to see the, the sunshine during the day at work. So what can I do that'll get me outside uh, and also feel like, you know, making the world a better place. So I found environmental science and I was at Auburn University at the time. They got a great program with a lot of awesome professors and uh, really got, you know, got excited about what I was doing. And it kind of changed, you know, how, the, how it is sometimes in school where you're kind of petering along. And then once I found that, I, I really kind of changed my educational dynamic and still enjoyed that and graduated and went and worked out in the woods in Washington for the Forest Service for a summer. And that was amazing and beautiful. And then uh, uh, shortly after that, I went and uh, went back to get my master's because my wife was at Auburn doing the same thing. She was my girlfriend at the time. But uh, um, I'm all but thesis, proud all but thesis. I got got married and got down on the Gulf Coast. My wife grew up in Gulf Shores and uh, she was teaching at the time down there in Orange Beach. And I started working for a shipyard as an environmental technician. So I'm looking at you know, thousand, two thousand employees a day on the yard. And they called my boss, oh hell, and called me, what now? And we came up, they'd say, oh hell, what now? You know, and uh, that was an interesting introduction to to environmental science. You know, I came into this thinking, hey, I'm going to protect the waterways. I'm going to make the environment cleaner. And instead I was, you know, hollering at painters, hey, we got to get that on containment. Um, but a little while later, a position opened up at Baykeeper and 
you know, I took a 25% pay cut to go do what I really wanted to do. And luckily my wife was supportive. And since then it's just been an awesome journey um, at Baykeeper learning about what we do and trying to defend our waterways for, for both the wildlife, but also for the people that love them and enjoy them. And it's, it's really been a blessing and a privilege to, to do what I'm doing today. Absolutely. Well, can you, what can you tell me about the area that y'all cover? Cause I know Baykeeper, you know, Mobile Bay, I think most people in Alabama are familiar with Mobile Bay, even if they're not, you know, from South Alabama, most people in North Alabama ride down and spend some time at the beach and they just spend some time on the causeway. Um, but I know y'all cover a lot of the surrounding watershed too, up around the Delta and the different tributaries that you find in Mobile and Baldwin County. What y'all's range roughly? Cause I know like today y'all yeah. are working kind of out of pocket. You're a good bit, good, good ways away from the bay. Yeah. So uh, we pretty much work state line to state line in Mobile and Baldwin County. So that means Mississippi to Florida, pretty much across the two coastal counties. Um, but are definitely focused on the bay. That's where the core of our work is. And then, of course, we work our way up the watershed some, too, because, you know, you can't just do work right around the bay and expect to to actually see the results you need because obviously the Mobile Bay watershed is huge. You know, it goes all the way up to basically the outskirts of Chattanooga and through central Alabama up to Sand Mountain over into Mississippi. So there's a huge watershed. We're lucky to have some partners, like you mentioned at Coosa River Keeper and others, other water keepers and, and environmental agencies and nonprofits throughout the state that help us. But we do work our way up some, you know, up into the Alabama River a little bit and in Monroe County, there's some pretty big dischargers and things we'll take a look at from time to time. And so, yeah, so we're primarily focused in coastal Alabama, but all in Mobile County, but work our way up the watershed as needed to uh, look into issues that are coming up. I mean, we work on a lot of statewide policy issues that we know are going to affect us. So we might be in Montgomery working on those kind of things from time to time, even though we're not in the field up that far. Sure. Yeah, I know we've talked about it in the past that, you know, if you're concerned with the health of the Mobile Tensile Delta and the Bay, you kind of have to be concerned with most of the waterways in Alabama because eventually it's, what, 80% of the landmass drains through that little five-mile stretch that's, you know, right here in my backyard. Yeah, absolutely. So issues issues upstream become issues downstream. So I, I know that's kind of a, a unique difficulty for you guys is, you know, so many things impact it that are kind of outside of your jurisdiction, so to speak. So I know that y'all have, y'all have made a lot of partnerships with the other river keepers. We talked a little bit with Jordan about just kind of the day-to-day uh, responsibilities. And like she mentioned that there was no typical work week uh, for her. And, and I know case in point, I'm talking to you here on a boat. So Tell me a little bit, if you don't mind, tell me a little bit about what you're doing today. And then tell me just about some of the, the things that y'all commonly do, you know, day to day, month to month. What's what's what are the issues that y'all are usually running into and, and what's the work that y'all are doing for the community? Yeah, today we're out here on the water looking into the discharge from a paper mill, um, and, you know, checking to make sure they're following their permit and what kind of stuff's coming out of there that might be affecting waterways downstream. And and for sake of, of our investigation purposes, I won't mention exactly which one or which waterway we're on, but suffice it to say, you know, we try to look into those things when we find issues. We try to work with people where we can, where they're not willing to work with us, where they want to, you know, be stubborn about it and, and maybe cause some pollution that could make it unsafe to swim or eat the fish or problematic for other things, then, you know, we have other avenues that we go at through that, whether that's working with the state enforcement uh, uh, through like Alabama Department of Environmental Management, or whether that's um, even following suit from time to time. We don't follow a lot of those and really we try not to when we can, but it's a tool and uh, we use all the tools in the toolbox to protect our waterways and to defend them. Um, as far as more, you know, generally what, what we're up to, I mean, I spend a fair amount of time 
um, behind the computer looking into what's going on with permits and policy. Um, you know, really my role as baykeeper, as odd a title as that is, um, is kind of like a, a COO almost executing our mission. Like what, what are all the different projects and programs we're doing? How do we make sure that they're aligning in a way that's going to help us protect Mobile Bay and revive Mobile Bay? And so we've got a lot of awesome team members that really help make that happen. And, uh, and I spend a fair amount of time, you know, strategizing about what we're going to do. So I spend a decent amount of time in the office doing that kind of stuff. Um, fair amount of time meeting with, you know, elected officials and other decision makers trying to convince them that defending our waterways should be a high priority for them and that their, their constituents care about it and that, you know, different rules and uh, laws we may need to help us do that should be in place. So I'm up, you know, in Montgomery from time to time, especially during the legislative session and spend some time, you know, around Mobile and Baldwin County with folks like that. And it also includes, you know, Chamber of Commerce, economic development as they bring in new development. They might want to fill a bunch of wetlands that are good for duck hunting or fishing, or they might want to put a new discharge in that might release something that we think is going to be a problem for eating the fish we catch or, or being able to swim. And we're working on that. And then um, I spend some time doing stuff like I'm doing today, driving a boat around, taking samples or waiting, flying the drone, looking into issues at industrial landfills or sewage treatment plants or um, power plants, things like that. And then once all that's done, you know, we got to go back in the office and spend the time looking at the permit and understanding how we're going to use the data we gather to be able to make sure people uh, either work with us to fix the problem or they're held accountable to fix the problem, depending on who it is and, and how they're behaving. I, I like that both you and Justin mentioned you know, that y'all have a lot of tools in your arsenal and that the, the first resort is not to be the, uh, I, th I think you said the, oh, hell, what now people, you know, y'all aren't automatically yeah. looking to beat anybody over the head with a stick. Y'all, y'all do try to address the problem, you know, in a cooperative manner instead of immediately going to an antagonistic role. I think that's a common misconception some people have that I think you summed it up well, you know, oh, hell, what now, you know, what kind of trouble are we about to get in? Yeah, well, my experience, I mean, you grow up, right? And what do you have more, what, what's more effective, right? If you got a problem with your buddy, you go talk to him about it and y'all deal with it and handle it, right? Or you go to the teacher, the principal, and then, you know, everybody ends up in trouble and nobody's having any fun and it doesn't even get handled in the way you hoped it would, right? So it's like, Whenever possible, right? Direct, you know, direct communication seems to be most effective. And then when that buddy you talk to says, I don't give a crap and I'm not going to, you know, work with you or whatever, then you go, okay, well, then in that analogy, we got, we're going to have to handle this a different way, of course. So that's, you know, that's, that's something we do when we need to. And we like to work with people when we can. Absolutely. How, how do you feel? I know that a lot of Alabama is very, very rural, but down here in Mobile and Baldwin County, you know, it's, it's right up there kind of surpassing the whole Birmingham metro area is, is just, you know, a huge area population wise. And I, and I believe it's last I read, it was something like the fourth largest growing metro area in the United States. How are y'all keeping up with all that? Because I know if you drive through Baldwin County, it seems like you go every, you know, mile down the road, there's a new apartment complex. There's a new, uh, you know, people are putting in new sewer lines. Like mm -hmm. there's, there's, it's a huge issue. And growing up in Baldwin County, I've seen it. I've watched infrastructure kind of lag behind development. And, you know, I've watched the population increase. There's way more bass boats running up and down the river right now. Are there any really unique problems that, that stand out to you with the, the Mobile Baldwin County area and, and conserving that watershed? Because it's a really unique ecosystem or that's right next to some major development. 
Um, yeah, well, I mean, it's absolutely a challenge, and I'd be lying if I said that we were we were able to keep up with it as much as we'd like to because it's uh, it has grown like crazy. And so our our patrol team, um, Clay Ray, our field investigation team lead, they spend a lot of time looking into construction, stormwater issues with mud running into Fish River or Fly Creek or uh, Bonds Cool River, or what you know, you name it. You know that growth is just going bananas in Baldwin County, and so trying to keep those rivers from filling in with mud, which is, you know, both no good for um, playing and swimming and boating. You know, if you spend your whole life trying to afford a place on the water and you can't get your boat out anymore and you got to pay for an expensive permit to get it dredged, you know, that's that's a big problem. And then, of course, it's no good, too, for oysters and seagrass and, and even the little bugs that are on the bottom of the, the creek that, you know, are, are what you need out there so that you can go catch big ones. So that's been a big challenge. And so we're, we're trying to get the state to take, you know, better action to enforce and the, the cities to actually stay on top a little bit more. And they're kind of actually hamstrung. There's some laws that tell them they got to sit back and rely on ADEM, who's been really pretty passive um, with actually enforcing this. And, you know, I think uh, folks that are, are members at 50 bucks more get currents or magazine, and I'll have an article in there in the next issue about that, that issue exactly. And, and just as a sneak peek, you know, if it costs less to take the fine when you get one and they're pretty rare, then it costs to actually do what you need to do to keep your mud from running into the river. Then guess what, you know, guess what you're going to do as a business owner. Um, nine times out of 10, unless you just feel morally convicted, you're going to not worry about the silt fence because hey, that, it's, it's unlikely you're going to get a fine. And when you do, it's pretty menial. So we've got a problem there and, and we know that and it's on our policy agenda for the next year or two to, to really try to get the state to up their game and um, hold people accountable. And that way the people that are doing it right are on even playing field with the people that are trying to, cut corners, save money. And, and we're all, we're all paying the cost of that. Absolutely. Well, this, this been a fishing podcast. I know that, uh, you know, a lot of people are, you know, people interact with the water in different ways, right? Some people, they want to make sure that their waterfront property stays valuable. Some people want to have a place that they can go swim, you know, fishermen, I think they're mainly concerned with, with the quality of the water as far as it pertains to the fish that they, eat. what can you tell me right now, as far as the fish consumption advisories, in your area of people here fishing in the mobile tensile delta is there anything that they need to kind of keep an eye out for right now yeah um, you, you know we've got a lot of fish consumption advisories mainly for mercury um that are out there and uh, you know that's a that's a big challenge is making sure that where you are you know what those are they're not very easily available um so the water keepers generally and mobile bay keepers part of that hang on i'm gonna move this boat a little bit trying to keep everybody in the shade here while we talk and uh, so the water keepers have done a lot of work making sure that that information is out there. And there's some legislation we had on the table last year that, you know, I mean, this is kind of one of the unique things about politics, right? It passed the House and the Senate unanimously, but didn't make it to the governor's desk because some, some craziness going on. But nonetheless, we want to get that information easily available in people's hands because how many fishermen are really going on the Alabama Department of Public Health website and, and downloading a 30 page video um, and reading through that thing? So we're trying to get that information out there. But more than that, we want to make sure those discharges from those facilities that are putting mercury in the water, that are putting things like PFOS in the water, that's going to be a new contaminant that, that's going to be a big deal for people that are worried about eating the fish they catch, um, that they're held accountable and that they limit those discharges so that we can eat the fish we catch. Because at the end of the day, it's our waters and our fish. It's unbelievable that these corporations that, that, that in a lot of cases are making billions of dollars in profit are allowed to release stuff that can make it where it's unsafe for us to eat our fish. Um, so we want to make sure that we, we curtail that. 
Absolutely. I know we've talked with Justin, you know, about kind of how mercury ends up in the waterways and how it accumulates in fish tissue. Are you guys going to be, is Mobile Baykeeper going to be up in uh, Montgomery next month for the the hearing that they're doing on that? Can you tell us a little bit more about y'all's involvement and kind of the issues that we've had with mercury and, and coal ash ponds and all of that? Yeah, well, you know, for a long time, um, we burn coal and coal uh, puts a lot of mercury in the air. And that comes down and that's how you end up with these pristine waterways that don't have any dischargers in it with a mercury limitation saying, hey, in this waterway only eat so many fish because you could get um, issues from mercury or if you're pregnant, don't eat fish, things like that. Um, But we started going, hey, we don't want that in our air. We breathe the air and we need it clean. So we started scrubbing a bunch of that out of these stacks and a lot of technology went into place. And so we have a lot less issues with emissions into the air, but all that ended up in the ash after that. And in these scrubbers and all this kind of stuff. So ended up in these big ponds that are next to rivers. I'm sure Justin talked about all this, but these ponds for the most part in Alabama are just unlined pits sitting next to the Mobile River or the Coosa River and other spots in the state. Uh, And in most cases, they're leaking into those rivers. I think pretty much in every case that that coal ash is sitting in the groundwater, just kind of soaking and leaking into the river. And so things like arsenic and mercury are being, being allowed to go in the water that way. And then they had these permits for a long time uh, to release water from those ponds because, you know, the thing would fill up. And so it comes out of weir and these permits were crazy. And they'd say things like they could release, you know, 40 pounds of arsenic a day. So they were set in a way that they could never violate them and, and never be in trouble for that. And um, a whole bunch of mercury was emitted that way in our waterways too. So, yeah, you're bringing up this hearing we're going to have at September 20th. There's going to be a hearing about Alabama's coal ash program that was permitting all these ponds to just leave that ash soaking in the in the groundwater right on the side of our rivers. Um, and so, we, you know, folks can find out more about that, that hearing and all that. I won't go into all the details right this moment, but alabamacoalash.org slash EPA uh, for the public hearing that's going to be going on. And I just kind of finished that by saying that uh, Mobile Baykeeper is in current litigation over the, the ash pond that's closest to us down here, Plant Berry, um, about their plan to leave that ash in the groundwater. And um, so, you know, I won't, won't go a whole bunch into that litigation, but we feel pretty good about our position there that that ash is going to be left in the groundwater and that's illegal. And, you know, I think Alabama power would like to paint a picture that, Hey, it's just too difficult, too expensive. Baykeepers kind of paint this pie in the sky solution. But um, all you have to do is, is take the blinders off and look around. Cause in Georgia, Georgia power, who's Alabama power sister company is moving 65 million tons of coal ash. Virginia's moving 30 million tons and the Carolinas are moving over a hundred million tons of coal ash out of these unlined landfills into, into modern landfills and to be recycled into concrete, even saving them some money in the process. So, so um, you know, Alvin Power makes over a billion dollars in profit a year. We're one of the highest rate per customer in the in the country. Uh, if it's good enough for Georgia and protecting Georgians, hey, Alabama, we don't want to fall behind Georgia in anything. So I think Alabamians deserve the same same thing for clean water. I, I would agree, absolutely. And the, the little bit you and I have talked on the issue and the little bit that I've read on my own, uh, I'll, I'll definitely, I plan on being up there September 20th to to see all that. And um, I think that's that's a really important issue that's, for some reason, kind of a sleeper in the fishing community. You know, there's a lot of bass fishermen that I've talked to who aren't really aware of what you're saying. They're not aware of the ramifications of, you know, if something happened on their local waterway, kind of like uh, happened with the Kingston plant. It's going to be a long time like that. That fishery is going to be gone for a while if something like that happens, you know. So I'm really glad that y'all are working on that issue of, you know, if people want to, you know, get more information on current fish consumption advisories or if they want to find out more about what you guys do or, or support you guys, what's the best way to do that, Cade? 
Uh, yes, yeah, so we're in the middle of a website rebuild, but definitely would love for people that want to know more about what Mobile Baykeeper is doing to go to mobilebaykeeper.org. And of course, they can find us on pretty much every social media. I'm not as active these days, but I know if you're on it, whatever platform it is, we probably are too. And our communications director keeps that going. So thanks to him for for making sure that's available. If they want to know more about the fish consumption advisories, waterkeepersalabama.org slash fish. And that's a website where all there's 10 water keepers that do work in the state of Alabama. And so a lot of information about the different water keepers. If you're not down in the Mobile Bay area and you want to know what's going on in your area, you can check that out and see what's going on. And then there's a hotline if you just want to call a number and hear those fish consumption advisories. And that hotline number is 844-219-7475. And then it's just going to tell you to press, you know, one, two, three, four, whatever for your specific waterway. So Mobile Bay Delta is four once you dial that number. Now that's that's awesome information. And Kate, I appreciate the info and I appreciate your time and I'll let you guys go so that y'all can uh get out of the heat. I know it's gonna be a scorcher today. So I appreciate you being so generous. Yeah, we're gonna get it running and get the air conditioner turned on, man, like that. So appreciate you hollering at me and uh yeah, love to talk more sometime and hope hope folks find something useful in this information. Yes, sir. Absolutely. I appreciate you. Alrighty guys, that was Cade Kissler with the Mobile Baykeepers. Um again, if y'all are local to the Mobile Baldwin County area, be sure to check out Mobile Baykeepers. Definitely, you know, support them. They do a lot of good work in the area. Um, they do a lot of work with water quality monitoring for people who want to go swim on the bay and in the beaches and up here on the river where I'm at. They also work with fish consumption advisories. They just do a lot of really good work. Um, but let's go ahead and we'll hear from some of this week's sponsors. This week's show was brought to you by Dixie Supply. Dixie Supply and Baker Metalworks offer numerous items to help get your project done right the first time. They carry a variety of different panel profiles and your choice of colors and gauges with all the matching trim and accessories. They also offer a full line of hardware items and post-frame building design. Their friendly and knowledgeable sales representatives are always willing to help answer any questions or concerns you may have. Contact them with any questions or to get a free estimate today. Dixie Supply and Baker Metalworks, your metal roofing headquarters and by Killer Dock. Today, we're going to profile another common form of dock dysfunction, dirty dock. Have you ever cleaned up a nice mess of fish and then watched your wife's face in disgust when she sees your dirty dock as a result? It's happened to all of us who are cleaning fish on old wooden fish cleaning tables that don't slope toward the water. You need dock enhancement. Killer Dock fish cleaning stations are marine grade aluminum coated with a ceramic finish that makes cleaning your dirty dock a cinch. The scales and slime drain directly into the water, through the legs, or through the slots. You choose the style. Check out the best fish cleaning stations known to mankind at KillerDock.com. Also brought to you by Texas Hunter. Every detail of the Texas Hunter Wrangler hunting blind has been designed for your comfort. Fully carpeted walls and ceiling provides a scent and noise barrier, while sealed windows keep bugs and pests from joining you on the hunt. A solid galvanized steel roof is sure to protect you from the elements and will never leak or rust. The Wrangler is available in the ground model or with a 4-foot or 8-foot tower model available for extra-wide, sturdy stairs. Visit TexasHunter.com to check out their wide variety of premium outdoor products. Built in America since 1954. Alrighty, folks, that's going to be it for this week. I want to kind of take a second and reiterate some of the stuff that Jordan Cade mentioned. So, to sum everything up, the Environmental Protection Agency, the EPA, has proposed to deny Alabama's current coal ash management program. Uh, which is written and overseen by the Alabama Department of Environmental Management. You've heard of them as ADEM. 
the EPA's decision stems from what they consider to be the significant risks that online toxic coal ash disposal areas pose to your local communities and waterways, right? You guys is in my guys' backyard. Um, the proposed decision has marked the beginning of a public comment period, uh, which gives us all the chance to demand a responsible coal ash regulatory program uh, that protects the fisheries that we know and love. And I want to make it clear, like was mentioned, you know, throughout the southeast, uh, Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, um, they've all required utility companies to clean up coal ash contamination. Um, this is something that has been done before. The materials that they've cleaned in other states get recycled. They get disposed of in, you know, modern line landfills away from rivers and groundwater tables. Uh, Alabama Power Sister Company over in Georgia, Georgia Power, uh, they have recycled and disposed of 65 million tons of ash in that manner. So this can be done. Um, and the EPA's decision makes it clear that Alabama can no longer be the outlier and that they basically have to do the same thing that other states are doing. Uh, so anyway, the proposed denial has triggered a public comment period, which is culminating in an in-person hearing on September 20th in Montgomery, Alabama. Um, there's also going to be a virtual hearing on September 27th. Uh, if that's something that you want to learn more about, there's information on both the EPA's website and on Coosa Riverkeeper and Mobile Baykeeper's websites. Then I'll go ahead and get off my soapbox here in a second, but I would just say if this is an issue that concerns you like it concerns me, Justin, Cade, please consider sharing this podcast with your friends. Take the time to read up on Colash and consider going to either the online or the in-person hearings. You know, take take the time to learn about this. Coal ash is some pretty nasty stuff, and uh, but has caused issues in the past. And it's my belief that it could cause issues down the road um, if we dispose of it in the way that ADM and Alabama Power are currently proposing. So anyway, I will get off of my soapbox. As always, if you've enjoyed this episode, please take a minute to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen. And if you'd like for us to email you the podcast, just text FISHING to 314 665 one seven six seven. Again, you can just text the word fishing to 314-665-1767 to subscribe to our email list and we'll send you the new show each week. This week's Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report was brought to you by Texas Hunter. Since 1954, Texas Hunter Products has delivered the finest quality fish and game feeders and hunting blinds in the industry. To learn more, visit TexasHunter.com and by Hayabusa extremely well known for their premium sabiki rigs but also don't forget their full line of saltwater hooks and jigs as well as freshwater bass hooks see what you've been missing at hayabusafishing.com and by mallard bay book your next guided hunting or fishing trip with thoroughly vetted guides or charters plan trips buy gear go experience mallardbay.com and brought to you by fish bites whether you're hitting the sand with set rig or fishing the flats and marshes for speckled trout, redfish, and flounder, Fish Bites has something for you. Check out the full line of scented saltwater and freshwater baits at fishbites.com. And brought to you by Bucks Island. Bucks Island has been in business since 1948 for all of your new and used boat needs, as well as motor sales and service. And now they have a pro-level tackle store. Boat and motor trade-ins are welcome. Visit them online at bucksisland.com or give them a call at 256-442-2588. Also brought to you by Hilton's Real-Time Navigator, bringing you the highest quality online satellite fishing charts since 2004. 
your source for sea temps, allometry, currents, and watercolor at hiltonsoffshore.com.